Well, in my 15 years in Christian ministry, some of the strangest encounters that I have had with people both inside and outside the church has been on the issue of the end times. I've had several people stop by the church during the week and on Sunday morning who want to share with me a word about what the end will be like and when it is going to happen. So if you want to know, I've got their number, all right? <laughs> the question that, that I often ask these individuals is this. Let's say you did know the day and the time, which nobody does, by the way. But let's say that you did. What difference does that make? We're clearly called to live each day as if it is our last because it just might be. Who's to say your final day is not today? You're not guaranteed to make it to that particular day in the future that you believe is the day, assuming that it is. Now, we've discussed already that Jesus wanted there to be some mystery behind the time of your end and his return so that we would live ready each and every day. Something else I've noticed in Scripture is that, that when Jesus, Paul, John, others are talking about the end times, get this, their concern is the present. Their teachings on the end are not speculative, theoretical, or academic. They are current, practical, and applicable. The study of, of eschatology, which is the fancy term for the study of the end times, is meant to influence the way we live right now today. I, I've said before that if our theology is not practical, what good is it, right? We're, we're falling short and we're doing people a great disservice. Theology, thinking rightly about God and man and sin and salvation is meant to lead us to believe rightly so that we live rightly for the Lord. The way we think influences what we believe, which influences what we say and do. Eschatology is a study in theology, right? Therefore, it's meant to function in this way as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 21. Not John, Luke 21. You would think, after three years, I would know what book we're in. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. Luke 21. Holy Week. If it was John 21, it'd be after all of that. No, Luke 21. It's Holy Week. This passage covers... Jesus' great day of teaching in the temple that was believed to have taken place on Tuesday of this week. He's going to be crucified on Friday. So many believe this is taking place around Tuesday of that week. Jesus is, is teaching, and there is a statement that is made while he's teaching on the beauty of the temple that is going to lead to a conversation that Jesus is going to have about 
the future. And, and it will, in that teaching, Jesus is going to encourage his disciples to remain faithful in the present, okay? So there's a statement made about the temple that will lead Jesus to talk about the future that is meant to influence the way in which they live right now in that moment, okay? I want us to study this text together, and I want you to see four principles Christ provides for his disciples to apply to their lives to live as that future and final day approaches. Here's point number one. We're to be growing in godliness until Christ returns. We're to be growing in godliness until Christ returns. First principle, look beginning in verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, for these things that you see, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Okay, so we, we learn here that, that Jesus is teaching in the temple. There were some who were commenting on the beauty of that place. And we, we learn from extra biblical historical sources that it was an impressive structure. I showed you the picture of it last week in comparison to Solomon's temple. It just, it was huge. It was massive. It was, it was magnificent, right? The Jewish people in Jesus' day looked upon this structure with national pride. Many of them believed this structure to be permanent. If they would have known their history, they, they should have known that's probably not going to be the case. But they believed it was. They believed that it was immovable. They could not imagine worshiping God without this place of worship, which is what makes what Jesus say, says here very, very shocking. In verse 6, he says, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. While Jesus assures his disciple, he assures him that his, his church will be established and his disciples will remain faithful, and that his gospel will spread, and that his kingdom will advance. He has been telling that, them that. He will continue to tell them that. He tells them here that this movement of God will continue long after the temple. This structure that many in his audience were in awe of would soon be destroyed. It would fall in their lifetime. Jesus, like he does in Luke 19, 41 through 44, he gives them a detailed account of how it's going to go down. Skip down to verse 20. Jesus says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Extra-biblical historical sources tell us that a little, uh, a little less than 40 years after Jesus makes this prophetic statement, Jerusalem falls to Rome. The fall of Jerusalem took place in A.D. 70. The Jews, fed up with Roman rule, decide to revolt in A.D. 66. The wicked Emperor Nero, not wanting to lose control, decides 
to try and stop this rebellion by sending 60,000 soldiers to a Roman general named Vespasian. Vespasian began Galilee and destroyed Jewish communities and began to work his way south. But then Nero dies, so Vespasian leaves and he goes to take over. He becomes the next emperor, but he did not abandon his efforts in Jerusalem. He sent his son Titus to finish the job. Jesus says in verse 21 of Luke 21, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. Okay? So when the, the Roman armies moved in on, on the Jews by the tens of thousands, thousands of Jews fled. They fled from Judea to the mountains, from the north to the south. They, they fled into Jerusalem. The city became overrun. The problems began within the city and outside the city. The Roman soldiers were told, hem them in surrounded them where they couldn't get in or out. Those who tried to get out were either killed by those within or, or those outside. So those trying to flee would be killed as well. It was awful. And these events, they happened just as Jesus said they would. On August 5th, AD 70, Jerusalem fell. The Jewish rebels were either killed or they were sold into slavery. Jesus tells us of this as well. Look at verse 22. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. It is estimated that 1.1 million Jews were killed and 100,000 were sold into slavery. They killed women, they killed children, they killed elderly men, and they enslaved a lot of the younger men to put them in these gladiatorial matches, these, these, to be gladiators, to fight to the death, to entertain the Romans. It was awful. Jesus tells this guy who's commenting on the beauty of this temple, says, this temple you so love and adore is going to fall. This temple you love will be destroyed. Devastation and death are coming to this city. Not a very seeker-sensitive message, right? Jesus wasn't a seeker-sensitive preacher. Why does Jesus tell them these things? Well, we learn Jesus has been preparing his disciples for dark days to come and what their response is to be. He has been constructing a different type of temple, hadn't he? Not one made with human hands. Not one made with, with bricks and mortar and stone, but made with people. Peter says later in his epistle, he says, we believers are living stones being built into the house of God. David Barton in his commentary on Luke says this. Look at this quote. The church is 
people, not buildings. Even Jesus' disciples lost sight of the truth at times. They admired the great beauty of the restored and expanded temple in Jerusalem, commenting to one another about its magnificence. Jesus gave them a rather startling perspective. The days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. Must have grieved the disciples, steeped as they were in Jewish tradition to know this. And yet the church, the people of God, the true temple, would not only survive, but also grow and flourish and ultimately conquer hell itself. That's Christ's aim for his disciples. That's Christ's aim for his church. He wants them to grow into his likeness individually and corporately as a body. He wants them to be his beautiful temple. That's what he wants us to be. He wants us to shine the light of his gospel on this dark and dead world. That's what he wants us to do. That should be the aim of the church. Should be the aim of pastors, church leaders, elders, teachers to pour into other believers in such a way that they become a beautiful house for God. Should be the aim of you, God's people, to seek this beautification so that you shine the light of God's gospel in this dark, dead world. Believers, we're to be preparing today. For Christ's return. That's why you're here. That's why you're supposed to be here. To grow in your knowledge of who God is so that you believe rightly and live rightly so that you shine the light of God's gospel when you leave this place. That's how we're to be preparing for Christ's return. We're to be growing in godliness as believers until Christ comes you're going to be challenged in your study guide this week to take steps in this direction please be doing that monday through friday we provide you with the study guide that's based upon the message you hear here you're going to be encouraged to adopt spiritual disciplines that will serve to help you grow in godliness you're going to be challenged this week to spend time praying that god would give you the grace you need to be disciplined for the purpose of godliness Second point, second principle for Christ's disciples to apply to their lives as their future and final day approaches, we are to avoid deception and live ready until Christ returns. Look at verses 7 through 9. And they ask him, Teacher, when will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said to them, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be afraid, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. So follow me here. Someone in the crowd, while Jesus is teaching, comments on the beauty of the temple, Jesus responds with, the days will come when there will not be be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then they ask, teacher, when will this happen? 
And when will, will, will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, we learn clarity. Matthew provides us some clarity here on what's asked. We learned here that they're really asking two questions that they thought were one and the same. They, they think this talk of the destruction of the temple will be at the end of the age. That's what they believe. They're wrong on that completely. So they asked Jesus two questions, believing them to be together. Jesus, however, responds to both of these questions separately. Okay, it's important that you see that. They were thinking they were one and the same. Surely, the destruction of the temple will not be anytime soon. Surely, that will take place at the very end. They viewed the temple as something immovable, steady, and strong, and sure. Jesus lets them know that the destruction of the temple will happen sooner than they think, but he also lets them know that the end of the age is still some time away. He says, do not be deceived so that you are not led astray. You're going to be looking for my coming soon. After I'm gone and many will come in my name saying, I am he. That is a divine claim, by the way. Ego, I me, I am. There will be false Christ who will rise up and gather together a following and they will claim to be the great I am. There were some shortly after Jesus in the first century claiming to be him, calling for his disciples to follow them. They were expecting a return quickly, so for that reason, false Christ could be very convincing to some. Jesus warns them, don't go after them. Don't go after them. You will know when I come. It'll be obvious to you, and it'll be obvious to everyone else. Earlier in Luke, he says, as lightning lights up the sky. That's how obvious it'll be. But that time is still a ways away. Folks, there have been false Christ who have come since, right? Some in our lifetime, some still to come. Jesus, in the spirit of the prophets of the Old Testament, is prophesying of events that will happen in the near future and in the distant future. When the prophets of old prophesied, they would give a prophetic message that would be fulfilled within a single generation, fulfilled in the time of Christ, and some that is yet to be fulfilled. That's how they would prophesy. I believe that's what Jesus is doing here. He's telling of events that will occur within a generation and is also telling of events that are still in the future. He lets him know things are going to get bad for them before they get better. There will be wars. But he tells them that, that, that while things will get really bad, he also says, do not fret. Do not lose heart. Do not be led astray by false Christs. Do not go after them. Know that these things must take place, but the end will not be at once. So, so Jesus' answer here to, to the question of when the temple will be destroyed and when the end will come is this, soon and not yet. That's what he answers here, soon and not yet. Within about 40 years, the temple will be destroyed, but the final day, the end of the age, is yet to come. As the Lord continues to delay His coming, there is temptation for us to 
look for signs where we shouldn't. Every generation is thought that Jesus was returning in theirs. Do you know that? We're nothing new. Every generation is thought Jesus is coming back and I'm going to get to see it while I am still, still have breath in my lungs and life in my bones here. So, some have really embarrassed themselves by, by believing certain books and teachers to be correct in their predictions. I had somebody tell me once that he said no one knows the, the day or the hour. They didn't say the month or the year, so it's going to be on this month and this year. Listen to the words of Christ. Do not be led astray. Do not be deceived. Do not go after them. Now, that does not mean that we should just sit back, relax, and do nothing. Like nothing's going to happen in our lifetime, right? Remember the words of Jesus. He, he tells his disciples, this is your verse for the week, by the way. Luke 12, 40. You must also, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Well, we do not know when He is coming. We know He is sooner now than ever before, right? We must be ready. We must live ready for His return. We are to avoid deception in Christ's absence and live ready for His return. Next point, third principle for Christ's disciples to apply to their lives as that future and final day approaches we are to be bold witnesses in the midst of hardship until Christ returns look at verse 10 and he said to them nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom there will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven but before all this they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake so Jesus lets his disciples know while they believe him coming to Jerusalem at this time means victory for them Things are going to get worse again before they get better. Even after he goes to Calvary and conquers sin and death through his death and resurrection and, and gives those looking to him in faith, life eternal in him and sends his spirit to be with them and in them to empower them for ministry, he will be away from them physically for a time. Now, of course, he tells them, I will not leave you as orphans, right? I will come to you. He will be with them in and through the Holy Spirit who will come upon them and indwell them. But he also lets them know, even though all of these things are going to happen, things will not get immediately better for them individually in the dark circumstances in this broken and fallen world will continue there will be wars nations will rise against nation there will be natural disasters we're seeing that right all of those things there will be famines he says people will will turn against you for being a follower of me they will turn against you personally they will lay their hands on you they will persecute you they will deliver you up to be tried and they will sentence you to prison things are going to get bad 
you're going to continue on in a world that is still very much broken and you will feel as if the world is against you see Jesus told us all of those things believers don't get discouraged Jesus said these things would happen Jesus tells them what their response is to be as well. In this this period of time between his first and second coming, which is so practical for us because that's where we live, right? He says, get this. This is important. Write this down. These moments of opposition are your opportunities to bear witness. Amen? These moments of opposition are your opportunities to bear witness. What are you to be doing when opposition comes? You're to be bearing witness. Look at verses 13 through 15. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. He is saying that when circumstances are uncertain, when the world gets dark, when the, when the world pushes back, and when your faithfulness lands you in a tough situation and in the hands of enemies of the truth, do not fret, but be faithful. Trust in me, rely upon me to give you the words to say. Jesus is saying, believer, when you are faithful to me and when you're called to give an account, I will give you the words that you need in the time that you need it. He also tells them that the words and the wisdom that he gives them will confound and quiet their adversaries. He says, none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict the words and the wisdom that I give you. That's exactly what happens, by the way, in the book of Acts. Jesus' disciples are arrested. They're they're arrested, they're turned in by their own, they're brought before kings and governors, and they respond in ways that amaze the most religious, educated, and powerful. Now, I need to say this because... Many interpret verse 14, where Jesus says, Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. They they take that to mean that that there is no preparation to be made by us before we land in these sort of circumstances where our faith is tested. They believe the, the Lord only works through these spontaneous ways and therefore we should never study, never prepare, just respond in sporadic and unpredictable ways and random ways. Whenever we get an itch to say something, just shoot from the hip and the Spirit will help you. Some people believe that. They'd be wrong in thinking that. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The disciples had been with Jesus, right? They had walked with him, talked with him, been instructed by him. They had been equipped so that when the unforeseen happened, they were prepared on the spur of the moment to give an account. You know when they fall? When they fail to stay awake and pray the night Jesus is arrested. They fail miserably. They're not prepared. They weren't spending time with the Lord. They weren't watchful and in prayer, right? We have to prepare for the unforeseen. We have to prepare for it. 
The disciples have been with Jesus. They have been equipped so that when the unforeseen happened, they would be prepared on the spur of a moment to give an account. In Acts 4, when Peter and John were arrested, they stood boldly for Christ. We're told this by the religious leaders. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that these were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. Their boldness, their knowledge, their wisdom flowed from their time with Jesus. Same is true for you, believers. Your boldness in times of testing and the content of your message will be determined by how disciplined you are in your private study. Don't expect the Lord to give you anything if you've been neglecting time spent in his word. In those difficult moments, you're going to need the help of the Lord, the power of his Holy Spirit. You're going to need the boldness that only he gives and the words that only he can provide from his word in order to stand strong for Jesus Christ. Those words, that boldness flow from time spent with him. That is what overflows from a life committed to Christ and a life lived in relationship with him. True disciples of Christ are bold witnesses for Christ in the midst of hardship until he returns to set things right. Last point. The fourth and final principle for Christ's disciples to apply to their lives as their future and final day approaches is this. We are to rest in the security of our salvation until Christ returns. Christ's disciples are to take comfort in the security that he gives that will be fully realized when he returns. Look at verses 16 and 17. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus tells his disciples that for some of them, their situation will escalate from being put in prison to, be pla to being placed on trial before, before governors and kings, and they will even be delivered over to be put to death. Some of them, 11 of the 12, when Matthias replaces Judas, 11 of those 12 die a martyr's death. Look at who will deliver them over. Do you see that? To be arrested and killed. Parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. Ultimate betrayal, right? Jesus told them that his gospel message would divide family. Now let me ask you this. How on earth can a disciple continue to stand and remain steadfast in the midst of such hardship? That needs to be a question we ask ourselves, right? How can they endure natural disasters and wars, devastation and death? How can we endure it? How can they endure personal betrayal, imprisonment, martyrdom, and continue to stand for the Lord? Jesus tells us, look at it, important words here, verses 18 and 19. But not a hair of your head will perish. 
by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Now, does that mean they're not going to die? No, Jesus has already told them. Some of them will, right? What he means here is they will not die spiritually. They will not perish. They who trust in the Lord will persevere. They will ultimately live even though they die. They will gain their lives. Jesus says, John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Amen. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are promised eternal life with our Lord and with his people in glory. The weight of that far exceeds the most difficult of circumstances and the the darkest of trials in life. That's why no matter what happens out there, and it's going to get darker, we can come in here and rejoice. Our hope is in Christ. Through our faith and trust in Him, we gain our lives. Life eternal, abundant life. Life forever with the Lord in glory. Amen. Do you believe that? Believers, because we believe that, we can say with faith, whatever my God ordains is right. And we can experience sweet comfort from that. Are you ready for your dying day? Are you ready? If the Lord delays his coming, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Christ came the first time so that you would be ready for the second. God sent his son the first time to accomplish salvation for us through his life and death and resurrection. He is sending his son again to gather his church and to condemn his enemies. That is why he's coming back. He's laid it out clearly in his word. Are you ready for his return? Christ is coming someday soon. That someday might be today, so you better be ready. You better be ready. Are you ready? Prepare yourself today by turning from your sin and laying your life down before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, King Jesus, today. Place your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation and be saved. Let's pray together.